really say that? I asked, horrified. Despite my hopes that things would have died down by now, it appeared the gossip mongers were still a Twitter. It certainly does, he answered, complete with photographic evidence of our blissful reunion. It's a rather good picture of you, Amory. He folded the paper and held it up so I could see the photograph of the two of us emerging from a restaurant two nights before. I turned from the mirror for a closer inspection. I was certainly not the person to whom the eye was drawn. That honour, as usual, belonged to Milo. He looked superb in his evening clothes, his smooth, handsome features in three-quarter profile, light from the flashbulbs glinting off his black hair. It was absurd, really, how well he photographed. The Prime Minister went out just before us, I said. I thought they were photographing him. Nonsense, Milo said dismissively. Why should they want MacDonald when they could photograph you? Or you, for that matter, I replied, knowing from long experience that my husband was a favourite subject of the society columns. His cinema-star good looks and the endearing tendency to find himself in compromising situations had earned him that dubious distinction. I didn't add aloud what I was really thinking, that it was nice to be the woman in the photograph with him for once. Things had certainly improved. I turned back to the mirror and picked up the necklace of sapphires that lay on the dressing table, raising it to my throat. Help me with this clasp, will you? It always sticks. Certainly. He tossed the magazine aside and rose from the chair. Coming up beside me, he fastened the necklace, his fingers warm against my skin. This was one of my favourite pieces. The sapphires complemented the backless blue gown and emphasised my dark hair and fair colouring. Milo's bright blue eyes met my grey ones in the mirror. You're very beautiful, Amory, he said. Then, his hands on my arms, he leaned down to kiss my neck, sending a shiver clear through me. Remind me again why we're going to the Barringtons tonight, he murmured against my ear. At the moment I was having a hard time remembering. Mrs. Barrington is an old friend of my mother's, I said all the more reason to avoid her. I ignored this remark and went on, despite the fact that Milo was making it very difficult to concentrate. When she found out we were in town, she was most anxious that we should come and dine with her, and I think it was very nice of her to ask us. She had been rather insistent on it, in fact. I had been a bit puzzled by her eagerness to see me, considering we had not crossed paths in years, but I thought it could certainly do no harm to spend an evening in her company. It will be a lovely evening, I said in an unconvinced tone. It would be a much lovelier evening if we stayed at home. I turned to look disapprovingly at him, and he seized the opportunity of access to my mouth, kissing me even as he pulled me up from my seat and into his arms, knocking over the dressing-table stool in the process. I dimly heard the telephone in the foyer ring, and Winelda, my maid, answering it. A moment later, she tapped hesitantly on the door. She'll go away, Milo whispered. 
you're quite incorrigible. I laughed, pushing myself back from him. He released me somewhat reluctantly, and I turned to right the stool and smooth my dress and hair before calling, Yes, Winelda, come in. She opened the door the barest of cracks as though afraid to look in. Your car is ready, madam. Thank you. We'll be right out. She closed the door and I turned to my husband. We'd better go. Milo sighed heavily. I couldn't have agreed with him more. A half hour later we pulled up in front of the Barrington's home in one of the more fashionable districts of London, and were welcomed into the marble-floored foyer where my furs were whisked away by a silent maid as the butler led us toward the drawing-room. Before we could enter the room, however, Mrs. Barrington came sailing...